So, hey, um, I, I want to I start off tonight. So, th- this is, um, is going to look a little bit different, but um, I just found a time-lapse video that I, I asked the guys just to, just to throw it up on a screen and play while I'm talking. And so, here's the thing. What you're looking at right now is effectively just a bare uh, plot of earth that they're literally turning into a garden. And so, as you, um, as you sit here and you watch this, what you may not recognize is that um, this is actually, this garden, whenever it's done, is like totally full of like flowers. It's beautiful. It's a place that people go and just kind of relax and chill, have a good time. And, and if you notice, there's a ton of like big tractors and stuff like that that are digging all these huge holes and, you know, places for the trees to go and all this kind of stuff. But how many of you know you don't plant flowers with tractors, Right? <laughs> but dig a big hole, put a little flower in it, it just disappears. Like, <laughs> you know, right? So, in, in a couple of weeks ago, we're continuing with our, our series in Corinthians, but a couple of weeks ago, I brought a rake and I brought a shovel up here on stage. And I said, here's the thing. Paul gave us this metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he said, it's like we're this field. And he compared us to God's garden, where each one of us have a job to do. And so, some of you, you really like digging holes. Where saw does that? Yeah. He will dig holes all day, every day, just for the fun of it, right? And, and, and you know, some of you guys, listen, you, when it comes to, like, kingdom work, you know, we need the shovels, amen? We need the big tractors to build some dig holes, right? In fact, a couple of, about a year ago, I, I went to a conference for pastors, and um, there was a guy there by the name of Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke is one of the greatest evangelists ever. And, and when I say that, I literally mean ever, okay? Like, everybody knows who Billy Graham is. Reinhard Bonnke has saved, like, millions more than Billy Graham. Best that I can tell, okay? Um, <clears throat> but here's the, here's the reason you haven't heard about him as much. He's been rolling around Africa. God told him, he called him out of Germany to go and reach the continent of Africa, so, how do you reach a continent? Well, you start getting millions of people saved, right? We, he's an evangelist. And so, he, go, he rolls into Africa and, and um, he started his ministry. It started small, began to grow, began to grow, began to grow. Before you know it, he's creating a tent that actually was recorded as the largest tent in the world by the Guinness Book of World Records. Because he needed a place to house 34,000 people, okay, that were showing up to his crusades. So, he's like, man, we need, we need a huge tent, a place that 34,000 people can fit inside of, right? He goes down in the Guinness Book of World Records. His largest gathering ever was in Nigeria. 1.6 million people showed up. Over the course of his ministry, and this guy's still alive today. We, we, we got to talk to him and, and stuff just last year. Over the course of his ministry... 50 million people made a decision to follow Christ. Now, here's how they got that number. You're like, how do you count that many hands, right? Like, I'm going to get saved. You know, 50 million. Yeah, that looks like 50. No, here's what they did. They were like, they they had to be more strategic because it was such a large crowd, such a large response. He's an evangelist, yo. He is a tractor in the kingdom, okay? He's digging big holes for Jesus, right? And he's like, he's getting a lot of work done real quick. So what they'd do is they'd roll in and he'd say, hey, if you... 
have made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We've got some cards. We need you to fill it out. Put your contact information on there because we're going to have a local pastor contact you and get you connected with the church. So the 50 million were actually people who filled out decision cards and said, I want to follow Christ. So that's what a shovel in the kingdom looks like. They get a lot of work done. But if you can imagine... Um, 50 million people coming to know Christ, if all you did was get them saved and then leave them alone, that would be detrimental to their faith, wouldn't it? So really, what, what he did was he collected these cards. He recognized, I'm a shovel, okay? I'm going to get them saved, but the truth is, somebody needs to teach them how to live like Jesus after I get them saved, okay? And, and some of you guys understand that, right? Like, you know some folks like that. It's like, he was saved last week. Jesus still working on his cussing, okay? Like, that's just kind of the way it goes. And so we, we all work on holiness as we get there, and that's where the rakes come in, right? They kind of make things look a little prettier, right? And, and so he would take all these cards, send them out to the local pastors and disciple makers who would take these brand new immature baby Christians and help them become mature in their faith. And... <clears throat> Paul, as he's talking about this, he says, listen, guys, it takes all of us. It takes all of us, right? And so and, and if I can just keep going in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here, Paul literally moves from, uh, from this idea of we are a part of God's field and creating this garden that brings glory to the Lord, right? Like we go from where there's nothing to this like living, breathing, multiplying, like thing that, that is beautiful and brings honor and glory to the Lord. And, and really, if you were to look at all of our lives before Jesus, you would say that's not very pretty. But there's a lot of people who really admire the community that you get to be a part of. Because it's a beautiful thing when men and women, when men and women who love Jesus get along and are loving and are inviting. It's a beautiful thing that outsiders look into and go, there's something special about that. And we bring glory to God when we all do our part and keep the garden as it's supposed to be. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he moves at the end of verse 9. He, he moves from this idea of a field or a garden straight to this idea of a building. Okay, And, and this is kind of what we're going to jump into. Um, it, just in case you haven't been with us, we've just kind of been walking through 1 Corinthians. And, and we're just kind of rolling through the book, talking about some of the things that Paul is talking about. Today we're going to kind of finish out a little bit of chapter 3. We're going to jump just a hair into chapter 4. And um, it, to be honest with you, we probably won't finish the book of 1 Corinthians, but you're welcome to go read it on your own. Okay, <laughs> I hope you have been reading it. Um, we want you reading along. But here's what... Here's what Paul says. He mentions that we're God's building at the end of chapter 9. And he continues with this, this other metaphor where he starts talking about the church as a building that is built on a solid foundation. This is what he says. We'll start in verse 9. We'll read through verse 14. For we are, God's co-work, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is always going back to Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. 
If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, as, as, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, understand that um, what Paul, who, is, who is Paul writing to? You've got to understand that Paul is writing to not just guys like me who are pastors, but he's writing to the church as a whole. So he's literally calling you guys co-workers in God's field or in God's building. Okay, If you were to go read elsewhere, you see Peter talk about things like, hey, we each get to be stones in God's wonderful building that's going to bring God glory, right? And Jesus, like, the, the, man, Jesus is so cool. He, he relates to each of us so well. Um, he, you know, if you're a farmer, man, he talks about reaping and sowing, right? If you're a, an architect, he talks, about, uh, he, he talks about building with the stone, and Jesus is the cornerstone, right? If you're, if you're a gardener, man, he talks about being the gardener, and, and, and he talks about those who plant and water, but, but God makes it grow. He, he's, he's all these things to so many people, and in this instance, he's literally saying, listen, God's got a building he wants built. You're the builders. You're the ones who are in charge of doing your part. So as we read through there, notice that in verse 13, the day, the, the word day is capitalized. Nope, go back. Okay, verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. There's a reason that D is capital in there because it's referring to a very specific day. The day when Jesus returns to take his church, us, all the Christians, okay? He's going to take us all to heaven. And on that day, we will actually enter heaven with Jesus. And, and what's going to happen there is, is we will all, like everything that we've ever done, all of our works will be laid before Jesus, and they will be tested by fire is kind of what Paul is saying here. And so for everything that we did, uh, it's going to be laid out before Jesus. And, and there will be a time when it's tested to find out if we did this for Jesus, for, for the glory of God. And, and if so, if it, if it was done for the glory of God, we will be rewarded. For anything that we did for any other reason than to bring God glory, those things are going to be burned up. Verse 15, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved. So, so if you do something that maybe you claimed was for Jesus, but maybe it was really for your own selfish motives, this capital D day is going to bring it to light, this testing. So no ulterior motives will be hidden. Like, so so let, let me think, think of it like this. Maybe you're a life group leader. And you're like, man, I want to have a great life group. So you go out and you find five or six people, and, and you begin, you know, grabbing these people up and, and you're leading them to Christ, you know, you're, 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 um, you're doing your absolute best to be a great life group leader. And, and so um, what's going to happen on this day is we're going to, everyone will see and Jesus will know whether you were a great life group leader because you wanted to honor Jesus or if you were a great life group leader because, well, I just wanted to be known as a great life group leader to everybody else, right? And one of those is selfishly, is selfishly motivated, right? One of those is, I just, man, I just want to bring God glory. And the only way that I know how to do that is to disciple others, because that's what Jesus said to do, right? You know, it, it's, it's that, you know, you pass by the homeless guy on the corner, right? And, 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 you know, the car behind you, man, they see you give that dude some food, right? You bought him some McDoodoo's or something, right? And he, you hand it out the window to him, you're like, hey, brother, be blessed, you know? But, but 
you know, and they're like, hey, man, that is a good dude. Hey, that, that guy is pretty good, right? Like, and Jesus would go, hey, if you did that for me, Jesus literally says in Matthew, he says, if you, if you will give even the least of these a cup of water in my name, you'll be blessed for that, right? But what the car, may, what the car behind you maybe didn't know is that, like, your grandma was sitting in the seat and you really just wanted to impress grandma, right? It, that will be burned up, right? Because one of those was for Jesus, the other one's for grandma. You, you see what I'm saying? And so those things that we do for Jesus... We get rewarded for in the time to come. So, but you got to understand this in verse 15. Even if your works are burned up, you're still saved. You're still in heaven with Jesus. See, only the saved, only the believers get to even attend this little ceremony. Okay, only the believers get to attend this works judgment. Okay, and so if you're saved, you go from earth to heaven with Jesus. We go to what they call the Bema seat or the, the, the works judgment. Okay, and, and Jesus will test whether or not it was right. And so <clears throat> even if all of your works get burned up, you can still go to heaven. And some of you, that's a little bit crazy for you to think about because you've always considered your salvation to be works-based, based on what you do rather than based on what Jesus did. So, so here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that as a Christian, you should not do any good works, okay? If you love Jesus, you're going to want to honor Jesus with your life, right? But here's what I am saying. Um, Salvation is a free gift from Jesus. It's not a reward. It's not something you earn. It's not something you get if you're good enough. Um, salvation is a free gift of Jesus. And so what, what Paul is referring to when he's talking about being rewarded is that for all of the believers, we will go to heaven and for everything that we did for Jesus, we will be rewarded for those things. So here's what I think. I've got, I've got three different types of servants that I see in the church that we're going to kind of pull from these scriptures here as we go from the rest of three into chapter four. We're not going to go verse by verse or anything. We're going to skip around a lot. But, but I see three types of servants, servants in the church. And the first one that I see is this. It's people serving for Jesus. People serving for Jesus. And, and so um, in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul says, For we are co-workers in God's service. He's writing to a church. And, and the truth is, Paul is writing these letters to, to, to this church plant in Corinth. And, and you got to know that he kind of expects that everybody he's talking to is saved. He kind of expects that everybody he's talking to loves Jesus, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. If you notice, Paul doesn't qualify his statements very often. In fact, you'll even see in the next chapter, if you were to go in there and read where Paul is like, he, he gets a little bit feisty, where he's like mocking some of the people in the church because even though they might be saved, they're not letting Jesus be Lord, right? And, and so like any good father, he brings correction to them, okay? Any, any good father in the faith, any good spiritual mentor, he brings correction and he points out their error. And so, <clears throat> yet, here's, here's the thing. Paul is writing this letter to the church, but if I could just be honest, whenever I preach, I feel the need to justify a whole lot of what I say. Because I know for a fact that there are people sitting in here, even tonight, that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
I know that as I preach, most of the time, when I preach, I expect for there to be someone in here who's hanging out with us that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to understand the things that we understand. The Spirit of God brings revelation. The Spirit of God wants to come take up residence in your heart. And He wants to help you understand those things. But without the Spirit of God, um, that revelation just simply doesn't exist. So I spend a lot of time... um, I spend a lot of time talking to people who, who, who aren't saved. And that's part of the reason that we preach the gospel here in Chi Alpha is because we want for you to get saved. Like if someone brought you here, they had a motive. It's that you could meet Jesus, right? Like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is what we're about. This is why we do what we do. We want for you to know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. And so... Unlike Paul, I end up defending truths in God's word, and I spend a lot of time explaining things that, truthfully, a lot of people in the room are going to understand. But, but with Paul, he kind of cuts right to the point. And, and here's kind of what Paul knows. <clears throat> if you're not a believer and you're not saved and you're not a part of the church, you're probably not picking up the Bible and reading all the letters to the church, Right? So if I'm Paul and I'm writing a letter to a church, I know that no one outside of the church is actually ever going to read that letter, right? So he doesn't feel the need to kind of justify those statements. But, <clears throat> but what I know is that there are some people who are going to hear my sermons who aren't believers. And, and, but maybe they kind of like hanging out with us. I, I, just like to, I just like to say that that's okay. Like, I'd like to think that we're kind of like a nice, loving community and that you'd want to be a part of us. I like us. Maybe you like us too, right? But, but you know, maybe you want to belong to this community, but you don't, you don't yet believe in Jesus as your Savior. <clears throat> I think that's okay. Um, but what I find at times is that people in, who are in that boat, people who are, who are maybe they want to belong, but they don't yet believe, um, they want to serve Jesus with us. So they're doing things for Jesus, right? Even though he's not really their Lord and Savior. But but think about it. It kind of works like this. Like we've all worked for the boss that we didn't really like, but we we did things for the boss, right? You see what I'm saying? So these kind of works, what happens is people are a part of a church community and they do things for Jesus because they want to be a part of the community. It's not really... To bring Jesus glory, it's more so that they can be a part of the community of believers, even though they're not a believer themselves, right? And again, if you find yourself in that place, you got to know, we're okay with that. Like, we want for you to experience Jesus, and we hope that the the love and the acceptance in this community points you to the revelation of God's love and acceptance for you. We we want for you to know the salvation and the forgiveness of of Jesus. We want for you to be saved. We want for you to, to, to... Feel like you belong here and like you belong in heaven one day, right? Because we hope that the love that you experience here helps you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Listen, if you don't know Jesus tonight, there's a lot of people in this room that would love to pray with you, talk with you, answer questions, do whatever it takes to help you know Jesus personally, intimately, as your Lord and Savior. And unless you make that decision, we believe you won't make it into heaven. And so this whole like works judgment thing, you'll never even make it to this point. So you got to know that for you, like number one, we're, we love you. 
but we unapologetically love Jesus too. And we believe that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. And the only ticket into heaven is through making Jesus our Lord and Savior. So if, if that's you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you got to have that conversation with someone tonight. Like, don't leave this place without having that conversation and finding out what this whole thing's about. Come find me after service. I will have this conversation with you. <clears throat> so it's not enough just to serve for Jesus, right? We don't want to work for Jesus like we worked for the employer that we didn't, didn't even really know or like, right? We, we want for you to understand that, that we don't just work for Jesus. We, we work with Jesus, which, which brings us along to our second servant type I want to talk about. So because we love Jesus, we serve with Jesus. It's not that we just serve for him, but we, we do what he's doing with him, right? Like if Jesus wants to grow the church, if Jesus wants to plant a garden, we're going to grow the church and plant a garden with Jesus. Why? Because that's what Jesus is doing, and we love Jesus, right? So we want to do things with him. And in 1 Corinthians 3.10, we see, we see Paul say this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. And it's almost like Paul is, is talking like an architect here, right? You kind of get that, 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 that idea that he's like, listen, guys, I kind of know what I'm doing, all right? And I laid a solid foundation as a wise builder. But if you were to look into Paul's history, um, Paul didn't start out as a church architect. Paul didn't start out building churches. In fact, Paul started out destroying the church of Jesus, he went around literally um, murdering and putting people in prison because they were a part of Jesus' church. And so he didn't really start out building, um, the, building God's church. And, and, but to Paul's credit, you've got to understand, even whenever he was against the church of Jesus, he thought that he was being a righteous man. You ever done something totally wrong and you thought you were right? This was Paul in this instance. And so if you, if you go and you read Acts chapter 9, um, you'll read about a guy named Saul. Same dude. Saul becomes Paul whenever he gets saved, okay? So Acts chapter 9 is actually about this dude that we're talking about. The same guy that wrote this letter to the, to the church in Corinth. His name was Saul. He met Jesus. And then he became Paul, which was pretty common back then. They would change their names to represent the life change that Jesus brought. And so <clears throat> Saul, who is Paul, is out literally uh, destroying the church. And he thinks he's doing a righteous thing. And, and God, because God is, is a loving heavenly father, he comes along to Paul and, and he, dude, he gives him this totally outrageously crazy encounter with Jesus, okay? Jesus comes down, meets Paul in the middle of a road. And like, so Paul is like the only dude out of all the guys who are around him that actually see Jesus. And it was such a bright, radiant light, it blinds Paul blinds him he hits the deck he doesn't know what's going on all he says is who are you lord right and and jesus is like it's me fool the one that you've been like persecuting you stop it you know like don't do that anymore in fact just just go over there and wait right like i got a new assignment for you so he goes into this town and jesus knows what he's doing right like um so you know jesus is a pretty good disciple maker and um he let Paul be blind and not eat for three days before he sent a fool his way. I'm thinking Paul's a hard-headed dude at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just thinking that if I get blinded and it, you know, I'm like, 
scared for my life. I'm like, whatever you say right now, I'll do it. It took Paul three days to really believe. <laughs> like, think about that. He had to be blind and, and hungry for three days before Jesus sent Ananias his way. And Ananias comes in. He prays for him to receive his sight. And Ananias is like, listen, Jesus has a new job for you. You're going to build his church. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I know you like Israel. I know you like all these Jewish dudes. But you got a new job description. So... <clears throat> I tell you all this just to give you some background. See, Paul didn't start out as a church builder or a missionary. But when Jesus called Paul, Jesus gave Paul the specific task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He changed Paul's job description in the kingdom, and he tells Paul to start planting churches in other places other than Israel. And it turns out, Paul was a pretty good church architect. He was a pretty good builder. In fact, we sit here today because of the work that Paul did 2,000 years ago. Unless you're a Jew in the room, you are Gentiles. And man, a whole lot of the stuff that we read in the Bible, over half the New Testament was written by this guy named Paul who was writing to Gentile believers, the church. So, as Paul's sitting here, you got to understand, he calls himself like a wise builder. Right? Which seems a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? He's like, I laid, you know, I was a wise builder. I laid a great foundation for you guys. Y'all get to go build on it, you know? And, and so, but the truth is, he's not just being arrogant here, right? Number one, there's a lot of spiritual fruit, including you and I, like we sit here today in the church because of Paul's work for the church 2,000 years ago. We're part of his spiritual fruit. But number two, Paul gives all the credit to God. By the grace of God, I laid a great foundation. And in fact, as Paul's wrapping up this letter to the Corinthian church, if you were to roll all the way over to uh, chapter 15, he says things like, I got a lot of work done. And it was a lot of really good stuff, but it was only by the grace of God that I was able to do any of that stuff. Like he's just constantly pointing people back to Jesus, giving the glory back to the Lord. And over and over again, we see things like, you know, it was only by the grace of God that, that, that he was able to accomplish all these things. And, and, and as I think about that, it sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said often, right? I only do what God tells me to do. I only say what God tells me to say, right? Everything that Jesus did was uh, here on earth was intended to bring glory to God. And so, Paul wasn't just serving with Jesus. He, he kind of had to figure out the building church thing. In fact, if you go back and you read in Acts, Paul got beat up a lot. He got like stoned. He got thrown in prison. Like he spent a lot of his ministry career in prison. And a lot of that was because he was trying to go and, and um, get the Gentiles to believe in, or get the Jews to believe in Jesus. But that wasn't the job description Jesus gave him, Right? He said, go save the Gentiles, not the Jews. Every time Paul would go in and start meeting with the Jews, they would like beat him up. Paul, the name Paul, actually means little. So we think that Paul was a pretty little guy. So he walks in, he starts talking smack. He's like, you guys killed Jesus. It's all your fault. Y'all are horrible. You're terrible. You need to believe in Jesus. And like some dude stands up. He's like, I can take the little guy, yo. We'll just, let's take him out back. We'll whoop him. And that's literally what they did. And then they threw him in jail. 
That was Paul's ministry to the Jews, right? And then he got smart, and he was like, maybe I'll just go to the Gentiles like I was supposed to. He did a really good job with the Gentile church. He began serving, not just with Jesus, but he began to give a lot of the glory to God. And I'll say this, the third servant that I see in the church is servants who serve like Jesus. So we see that some people just kind of serve for Jesus, we see that there's some people who want to serve with Jesus, but, but an immature believer maybe doesn't know exactly how to serve like Jesus. And, and some of you guys have run into these guys. They're well-intentioned. They're doing their best to grow the kingdom, but they're kind of harsh, you know? They, they, um, sometimes people leave a conversation with that individual, and instead of feeling loved and accepted by God, they feel separated. Right? And, and it wasn't because they were ill-intentioned. It was just that they have yet to mature to the point to serve like Jesus. And if we can skip forward to chapter 4, we read Paul saying this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This then is how, how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Um, so... It, I remember back in high school, it was like, there was this, you know, this rich kid, had a lot of money, and um, actually, they didn't have a lot of money, their family had a lot of money, you know, but they acted like they deserved it, you know, <laughs> like, so, always a brand new car, always really nice stuff, always money to do whatever they want, very entitled kind of mentality, right, and that just really gets on my nerves, you know, <laughs> a lot, it's like you're the trust fund kid, I just want to kick you in the teeth, because you act like it, you know, um, but I don't because I'm Christian um, <laughs> most of the time. Um, so, <laughs> but, so, but how many of you knew like the kid in high school whose parents had a lot of money but they didn't act like it? it and instead of just being like appreciative of the stuff, the blessings that they received, they were appreciative of like their father who gave them the blessing. Right? And, and you literally see Paul here in 1 Corinthians 4 saying, listen, guys, God has entrusted us with some stuff. And, and, and you can either get real arrogant about it and say, oh, man, I'm the man, I, I'm the woman, I did this, I, you know. Or you can go, God allowed me to be a part of this wonderful thing. Paul says, I'm a wise church builder. I can do this. I know what I'm doing when it comes to planting churches only by God's grace. Only by God's unmerited favor. Only by God's blessing was I able to do all of this stuff. He's entrusted me with these mysteries. He didn't fall in love with the blessings of God. Instead, he fell in love with God, right? He says this in 1 Corinthians um, 4, 6, and 7. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Do you see how it's in quotes there? Do not go beyond what is, what is written. That was kind of like a common saying. So the people in Corinth would have recognized that as, 
as, as a common saying or, or something that, that people would recognize. They would kind of know what you mean when you say it. So it's not just don't go beyond what is written, but there's a little more to it, if that makes sense. And so um, he says, then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over or against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Like, why are you acting like the rich trust fund kid, right? Like, this was all from God. Give the glory to God. It's his anyway, right? Paul says we've been given everything by God. We've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. Think about it. Listen, you've been given salvation as a gift from God. You're sitting inside of a community as a gift from God. You're sitting in a church as a gift from God. Some of you are a part of this church family. Some of you consider Chi Alpha. You call it your family. That's a gift from God. And it's not because you're cool or you're good or you're deserving. Right? It's simply by the grace of God that we get to have these spiritual things. And, and here's what I hear a lot, like kind of in my line of work, all right? Like I hear people talk about wanting to be in ministry or in leadership. And there's this idea that when you get into ministry, it becomes easier to serve God and, and to faithfully love God and be committed to God. So, so people think that if they're in leadership, they'll have to read their Bible, they'll have to pray, you know, all those kind of things, you know. They'll say, like, man, it's easy for you, Heath, right? You, you, you get paid to have a Devo time and read your Bible, right? Or maybe God allows me to get paid because I read my Bible and had a Devo time. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's this, there's this faithfulness to the Lord that exists in the believer that's in love with Jesus. You don't have to beg them to read the Word. You don't have to beg them to pray. They want to connect with their Lord and Savior. They, they love their Lord and Savior. They appreciate the blessing. They don't take advantage of the blessing. <clears throat> Leadership requires dedication to study the scriptures so that you can lead others towards Jesus. If you want to be in Christian leadership and you want to lead, you know, you want to lead like Jesus, you want to lead for Jesus, you want to lead with Jesus, you ought to know the Jesus you're leading people to, right? All of our leadership team for the next month, we're reading all of the Gospels over the course of the next month just to prepare for the fall semester because what we know is that in August, there's about 1,800 freshmen who are showing up at ASU. They need to see Jesus. We need to know Jesus so we can tell them about Jesus, right? That This is, we don't just want to serve for Jesus. We don't just want to serve for or with Jesus. We want to serve like Jesus. If you want to know how Jesus served, go read the Gospels. There's four books that will tell you all about Jesus right at the beginning of your New Testament. Being a, being a leader in the church simply means being the lead servant. How do we know that? We saw Jesus become the lead servant, right? So when it comes to serving like Jesus... Paul gives us this glimpse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And he kind of gives us this glimpse into what it looks like. And the truth is, it's not real pretty. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. He he says this. It seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. 
<clears throat> so, you guys, how many of you guys have seen the movie Gladiator? It's a little bit old, but every man in the room should have seen it. If not, you need to see it, okay? Um, <clears throat> but think back to the old Gladiator games held in the arenas, right? They would literally, um, during the time, so these people would know exactly what he's talking about. Um, there was actually an evil emperor named Nero who thought that it would be a great idea to go round up all the Christians and throw them into the gladiator games to let all the gladiators kill them. People would gather, and they would watch wild animals devour Christians during this time. And Paul's going, it seems to me like God has placed us Christian leaders at the back of the procession for the ones who are going into the arena just to die. It's not pretty. He goes on. There's more. Don't, don't worry. All of you who are called into ministry, listen up. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Okay, we're going to sign people up for ministry starting now. Who's ready? <laughs> um, it, it, like, but if we're just being honest, didn't we see Jesus, our own God, hung on a cross as a criminal and put to death for the sins that he didn't commit. He was hung up as a spectacle for the entire world, for the angels to view as God's plan to redeem mankind. Didn't we see Jesus spit on, slandered, and he was silent the entire time? Paul takes that a step further. He says, listen, when we're slandered, well we got to say something nice back. I'm not very good at that if we're just being honest. Like, you know, like, they cut down my mama. I want to say something, you know. <laughs> but you can't, you know. That's the rules for Christian ministry. It, it's hard. It's hard serving with Jesus in the church. It's a lot harder serving like Jesus in the church. Um, but the truth is, Paul would say, we should all be serving like Jesus. We should all look a whole lot like Jesus. We should all be as selfless as Jesus was. We should all be as loving as Jesus was. And one day, we're going to get to the end, <clears throat> and Jesus is going to take everything we've ever done before him, done for him, and he's going to lay it out, and he's going to test it. He's going to find out if it was done to the glory of God or not. Now, if you were to go on and read, um, in Revelation 4, it talks about we lay down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Some people think that's literal. Some people think it's not. They think it's like any, any praise or any reward or any title that we had, you know, like we're going, we're going to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. Um, some people think it's more literal. Because we will be given rewards. 
in heaven for our good works. And some people think that these are the rewards that we literally receive them from Jesus. Because Jesus goes, you did that for me here. It, it survived the fire. And we take that same reward and we lay it back at the feet of Jesus and go, it was all for you. You're my Lord and my Savior. You're my King. It was my honor to do this for you because I love you. That's how Paul talks about the church serving Jesus. If I can just be real honest, there's a lot of you guys in here that you serve that way. I've seen it time and time again. Listen, there are people going to Alaska right now who didn't have the money to go to Alaska because some of you served like this. I've seen people need rides at all times of day or night. And somehow they end up getting where they're supposed to go. Because somebody served selflessly. Here in, here in about a month, we're going to invite you guys to come up to ASU and like carry a bunch of stuff into dorms. You're not even going to know these people and you're going to be carrying their stuff into their dorms, carrying boxes and beanbag chairs and everything else and it's like 120 degrees on the pavement and you're out there sweating like a dog just to show them the love of Jesus. My hope is that we can become that faithful, humble, willing, excellent, loving church that serves like Jesus. I would love for that to be said about our community. That when people interact with us at our community, they go, I bet Jesus was like that. I can see a little bit of Jesus in them. Here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus tonight, um, we're going to give you an opportunity here in just a little bit to, uh, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's as simple as saying a prayer. Um, you got to understand, the one thing I need for you to understand tonight is that Jesus is not concerned with your good works to get into heaven. Please do not mistake or make any, have any misconceptions about what I'm saying. Salvation is a free gift offered by Jesus. He died on a cross for your sins to give you forgiveness and to open up a way for you to have a relationship with God your Father. You've never done anything good enough to have that, that, that you would deserve a relationship with God. But Jesus knew that we needed one. And so he died. He paid the price. He did what was necessary so that we could get a ticket to heaven. That ticket is declaring Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Lord means he's king. Savior means you can't get to heaven without him. So when I sit here and I talk about works, okay, please hear me. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. But for the rest of you, you know Jesus. You love Jesus. My hope is that you get to stand there with the rest of us one day and you've got something to lay at the feet of Jesus and declare to him it was all for you. I did all this for you, Jesus. I hope we become mature Christians in a mature church that has a whole lot to give to Jesus one day. Amen?